listening to this week's sermon from King's Community Church. For more information about our church, including meeting time and location, visit kingscommunity.ch. Church, last week we had a, a pretty spectacular gathering at Five Stones Brewery. I want to remind you that every once in a while when the, the school is closed here uh, and we're not able to meet here as a church, we're going to continue to meet as the church uh, in different places where he opens doors for us. Last week it was at Five Stones. Uh, coming up uh, in March, there's going to be two consecutive Sundays where the school building here at Morningside is closed and we're going to meet in different places. Uh, So March 8th, I want you to mark your calendars for these two dates. March 8th, we're actually going to meet at at Landa Park in one of the shelters. Um, We're going to have a gathering there. We've already reserved the space. If you want to know more about details and logistics, I encourage you to make sure you don't leave today until you're signed up to get our weekly emails where we send out dates and, and addresses. Um, but we're going to meet at Landa Park on the 8th, and then again on the 15th, uh, we're going to meet, and we're going to have our, we should probably call it our first, because uh, I could see us doing this again in the future. We're going to have a King's Community Church brunch. Uh, not like a lot of the times that we've had a meal after our gathering, it's actually going to be woven into the worship gathering. So we'll sing songs and, and pray and eat together uh, as the word is preached, and it's, it should be a, a pretty... Um, neat experiential worship gathering. So that's March 8th and March 15th. Uh, make sure you're signed up for those emails. Make sure you're, you're following Instagram and, and Facebook, King's Community Church, so that you can know uh, when and where to be on the right weekend uh, because we're a church on the move. That said, uh, we do plan to be here next week, so just go ahead and come back here next week. This box, this is my son's, it's, it's one of his many toy boxes, but it reminds me of uh, when I was in first grade. A box similar to this one was passed around from student to student in our first grade class. We had a show-and-tell box. Did anyone have something like that? We had a show-and-tell box. The, the primary rule was it had to be able to fit inside the box to be able to bring it into show-and-tell. And I'll never forget uh, the, 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 the most interesting show-and-tell story in the first grade. It was actually the teacher's son. Uh, the teacher's son uh, was responsible to bring something for show-and-tell the week of Halloween. And he came in with his box and a VHS was inside. If you're young, VHS was before streaming, before Blu-ray, before DVD, there was VHS. And he brought a VHS tape of the Michael Jackson music video Thriller and the behind-the-scenes making of the video. And the teacher decided that it was okay to show that to us first graders because it was Halloween, it seemed appropriate, And never before in the history of first grade have kids been both entertained, confused, and scared so badly as that day. But I also remember when it was my turn to share at Show and Tell. Uh, I I had a camouflage teddy bear that could barely fit inside the box, but I knew that when it was my turn to share something that mattered to me, 
I wanted to bring that in. That bear reminded me of my grandfather, who was my hero, but he wasn't just my hero. He was an actual World War II hero. He was a hero in his community. He's in the Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame. He's in the Italian-American Hall of Fame. Everyone who knew my grandfather loved my grandfather, but I got to be the one who was named after him. And I had a special relationship with him. So when it was my opportunity to share something that mattered to me, I was bringing in a bear, but I was going to share a story about my grandfather because he mattered so much to me. On a much grander scale, we've been invited into the most meaningful relationship in the world with the creator of the universe. He's invited us to have a personal relationship with him through the loving relationship he provided for us through Jesus Christ. And because of that, the Bible teaches us things about ourselves that should just make us feel like we matter. Many of us struggle with believing we matter on a day-to-day basis. But the words in the Bible that tell us we matter are we are saved if we are one of Jesus's. We are adopted, restored, redeemed, renewed, chosen, forgiven. We're given life. We're given a purpose. We're given a community. We're given an eternal hope. And in the midst of over 7 billion people in the world at any given moment, God is thinking about you and me. We matter to God. God has invited us into his family. He's invited us into a personal relationship, but he's also invited us into his mission because he loves us and wants us to share in his work. That mission that God has given us is to show and tell the good news of God's love to the whole world. We get this opportunity to show and tell God's love to the whole world. The one who's invited us into the relationship has given us this purpose. Here at King's Community, we call that mission bringing God's story to life, showing and telling the gospel, demonstrating and declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, relating and relaying the truth that Jesus gives new life and true life. God didn't purchase us back from death to just set us on his trophy case. He purchased us from death in order to use us for his purpose. And when we learn about God's love and we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, we're formed into this family that the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, tells us is called the church. Mistakenly, we tend to think of the church as a place that we go to or an event But the Bible teaches us that that the church is actually a body of people on mission with God. So if you are one of God's, you are the church. Just before Jesus went to the cross, he sat down with his disciples over one final dinner and explained to him his message one last time. You can see that explanation in in the New Testament in a book called John in chapter 15. Jesus summarizes his ministry before he goes to the cross as if to say, if you've missed it over the course of the last few years, let me say it one more time. He summarized his ministry to the disciples in John 15 by saying, remember, remain in Christ 
He said, remain in me, remain in Christ, love your neighbor, reach the world. That's the summary of Jesus' teaching. That's the summary of all Jesus did. Remain in Christ, love your neighbor, reach the world. And in John 15, he went on to explain that when his followers did that, they would be like a vineyard that would grow and grow and grow and produce fruit that glorified the Father in heaven. That's a summary of John 15. Then Jesus did what he came to do. He had lived righteously, and he died a shameful, painful death. But because of his righteousness, his perfection, death could not contain him. Jesus resurrected from the grave and canceled the power of sin and suffering and death and extended that same power to all people who would believe in him. When he did that, he resurrected from the grave. He appeared to his disciples and he reminded them of the mission. But this time, he told them uh, what we often call the Great Commission. He gathered his followers, resurrected in glory, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do all the things that I've commanded, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. In explaining that, he was continuing his message from John 15. Remain in Christ, love your neighbor, reach the world. It'll be like a vineyard. Now Jesus is telling them the whole earth is the vineyard where God's glory is to be made known. It's beautiful how those passages work together. The whole earth is God's vineyard where fruit is going to be produced and glorify God the Father. But here's the problem. Vines, if untended, can become unhealthy, tangled, and unproductive. Overgrown vines can give the appearance that something big and meaningful is happening, but they won't produce healthy, good fruit. And if that's the case, two things will happen. The vines will need to be pruned. Some of you are familiar with that term. To prune something is to cut it back. You don't just cut it back for the sake of cutting it back. You cut the parts back that aren't producing fruit so that the vine can grow and produce new fruit. That's one way to create a healthy vine that's producing fruit. But another thing that you can do to create a healthy vine is to build a trellis. If you've ever driven through the hill country and seen the vineyards, every several feet in between these long stretching vines that are growing out, you'll see these structures that help support the vine. Those are called a trellis. Uh, If you've not seen those before, maybe you've seen a lattice in a backyard that a plant can grow up. When Plants are growing on top of each other. The ones in the bottom are unable uh, to produce fruit because they're, they're getting moldy, they're rotting, there's no exposure to light. So the photosynthesis process that needs to happen for them to produce fruit is impossible. How do you redeem that? Build a trellis so that it can be exposed to light, grow healthy, and produce fruit. And that's one of the things that God has said the church can do is is build trellises, build systems, build ministries, build teams in order to help grow the vine and produce fruit that glorifies God. 
the book of Acts is a sweet picture of how that happens. It's important for us to understand this message because the the plan that God has put into place to show the world his loving kindness and redemption is the church. The church is God's plan A and there's no plan B. So if we don't understand how God's mission is going to advance, we're going to be unhealthy vines. Maybe we can grow neat things and give the appearance that we're having an impact. But if we don't see lives redeemed, families transformed, communities blessed, and more churches planted, then we've become a club instead of a rescue mission. So what does it look like for us to be the trellis and the vine? The vine, Jesus says in John 15, is all about people. When we are connected to Jesus, that's like the vine growing. So being a part of the vine begins with being connected to Christ. And the rest of the Bible teaches us uh, that when we do that, we produce spiritual fruit. We see other people trust Christ and be connected to him through our relationships with them. And in the New Testament letter to the Galatian church, uh, we're told that, that spiritual fruit looks like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're connected, when we're connected to Christ, our lives produce those things that are counterintuitive, that are, that are just impossible to manufacture over long periods of time. We want to be those people that are producing fruit for the glory of God and the good of others. And that's what a vine is, and a trellis is a tool that helps the vine grow. A trellis in the church would be a, a, a leadership team or a management system. It'd be ministry teams that, that make Sunday mornings happen. It'd be our group's ministry. Those are all trellises that, that provide support in order that we can grow and reach more people, in order that we can show and tell the gospel to a world in deep need of it. And the New Testament book of Acts gives us a glimpse of how the early church grew. In, in the first five chapters of the book of Acts, uh, we see the church begin to take off. And we're going to talk about Acts chapter 6 today. If you're new to King's Community Church, you can go online and find our sermons through Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But I'll give you a summary here today. In Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus stands before his disciples and says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus is reiterating that message that the whole of creation is God's vineyard where fruit is supposed to be produced. Then in Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit come on this young thing called the church, and they are empowered to participate in amazing things in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, the vine called the church is growing out into this city called Jerusalem. Six times in five chapters, we hear numerical growth. And in the early days of the church, thousands of people were trusting this resurrected radical rabbi that was changing the world. And then we get to Acts chapter 6, and it shows us at least three types of growth that the trellis needs to support 
if we're going to grow healthy and holy and reach the world with the love of God in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 6 begins. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. That verse teaches us something. That one verse teaches us that the church was growing among different types of people, drastically different types of people. Christianity isn't just one religion for one type of people and all religions ending up to the same road. Christianity is the good news through which God is going to reach the world with his rescue mission. So God is reaching different types of people with the gospel. And in Acts chapter 6, we see both a multiplication and a division. We see another instance of the church increasing in number, but we also see a division between people. In this verse, it talks about two different types of Jewish people. You might be wondering, why is it talking about Jews, not Christians? Well, at this point, uh, everyone was still a Jew who was trusting Christ. Remember, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, so the people that were hearing the message about him first were Jewish, but there were different types of Jewish people. You've got the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews that are at odds. What was different about them? The Hebraic Jews were people that spoke Aramaic. Aramaic was a language that was closely associated with Hebrew. The Old Testament in our Bible was originally written in Hebrew. So Hebraic Jews were considered the more pure class of citizens. They were the more holy Christ followers because they were closely associated with the language that the scriptures were written. On the other hand, there were Hellenistic Jews. Now, for you history buffs, you might remember this period in history called Hellenization, when the Roman Empire was the primary authority in the world. The Greek language was spreading, and it became the common language that people would use in the everyday stuff of life. Um, because of that, 2,000 years ago or so, our New Testaments were written in Greek, not Hebrew. But they didn't have a New Testament at the time. They didn't, they didn't think the Hellenistic Jews were as pure as the Hebraic Jews, so they created a divide between the two of them. And because of that, the widows who were vulnerable and unable to take care of themselves were treated like second-class citizens. They weren't getting their share of the resources to help them live, and that was not okay. When we read a passage like this, we should be reminded that the gospel unifies people from different backgrounds. We are tempted to categorize people, to rank people, but the gospel is the great equalizer of all people because we all have the same dependence on God. Christian unity doesn't eliminate race or status or gender. It transcends those distinctions. Up to this point in Acts, we've seen outsiders try to persecute the church, and that didn't stop the church from growing. So Satan used a, a different tactic to create disunity within the church. And doesn't that sound like something that's often true for us today? Broken relationships and a lack of loving kindness between Christians weakens our witness to the world. Sometimes evil doesn't have to work hard on the church because we're doing a good enough job 
fracturing ourselves. But as they notice this break, as it's brought to the attention of the leaders, the 12 apostles, the only leaders of the movement so far, wisely delegated the work of ministry for the health and holiness of the church in order that the church would keep growing. Listen to what happens next. In verse 2, the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number again, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The church is forming a leadership structure for the first time in Acts chapter 6. The vine is growing, 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 and it's becoming unhealthy. So what we see in Acts chapter 6 is the first trellis that God is having the church build in order that the vine can be healthy and produce more fruit. In the process of identifying leaders, there's a a distinction made between the ministry of prayer and the word and waiting on tables. And it is really important for us in 2020 to not misunderstand what it means to wait on tables. That is not an an inferior role to those who are uh, devoted to prayer and the word. In fact, it's it's a critical role. That's why they're identifying leaders to take over the ministry of waiting on tables. What does that mean? In our culture, waiting on tables brings to mind hired help at restaurants, but it's not the same thing in the book of Acts. Tables meant two things to this group. The first thing is the dinner table in the home. The dinner table in the home uh, represented, uh, the, the one who waited on the dinner table at home was the head of the household. If, if you've read the New Testament and, and that meal that we just talked about where Jesus uh, taught the disciples one last time before he went to the cross, he was the one waiting on that table, serving that meal. Waiting on tables is in high regard in the household. But secondly, waiting on tables refers to the money changer's table. It's a banking term. So this phrase, waiting on tables, is actually an an idiom, a cultural term that would mean something like sitting at a manager's desk to us. So it's important that we understand when, when there was a distinction between those devoted to praying and the word and those who were waiting on tables, the original leaders were just identifying quality, quality leaders and creating a system of ministry so that the mission could keep going forward. There were so many things trying to divide the mission, but they were staying focused by creating a trellis, a leadership structure in the church. Nowhere does it, ex- does it suggest that the leaders ever gave up serving. It just meant that there were unique roles for unique people in this movement that would eventually be called the church. Notice how they selected people. 
It was based on character, not some supernatural special power that people had to take a leadership role. They were just looking for people with a good reputation. They were spirit-led. They were wise. Then they prayed for them and handed over meaning, meaningful ministry to ordinary folks in order that the church could grow in health and holiness and keep producing fruit that made much of the name of Jesus. What started as a potential conflict turned into an opportunity to empower more people to do the work of ministry. How? They built a trellis to support the vine. The trellis is the leadership structure, the ministry system, and the whole church is a part of that system. The trellis is built so that the vine can grow and produce fruit. And in verse 7, we're told that that's exactly what happened. Once the church grew a system, they grew a leadership structure. What happened? The word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. There's new healthy leadership, and the church grew even more. They began reaching more people. It's imperative that you understand this point. The trellis does not exist to keep old Christians happy. The trellis exists to reach new people with the message of Christ. The longer churches exist, they tend to shift their mission from reaching people to keeping Christians happy. When you do that, you become an impotent church. We have to camp out on this for a moment because in the last 2,000 years, our understanding has been warped and twisted and perverted. And somewhere along the way, somewhere in the last 2,000 years, people like you and I have begun to believe that church has a distinction between professional Christians who teach and maybe entertain, if we're being honest, and then lay people who come and consume. That does not make for a missional church. That does not make for a movement. Many of us still believe this assumption that the Bible never makes. The Bible doesn't teach us that the work of ministry is for a select few. Before there were ever job titles in the church, Jesus told all of his followers to go and make disciples, to be his witnesses, to love God, love your neighbor, and reach the world. One of Jesus' close followers, a man named Peter, taught us in the New Testament book of 1 Peter that the priesthood is one of all believers, not just a select few. Another great follower of Jesus named Paul wrote in each of his letters to the church that everyone that's a part of the body of Christ is supposed to play a role for the health and holiness in the body of Christ. That means if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, you have a purpose in bringing health and holiness to the church and taking the mission of God to the world. And you will never graduate from that purpose. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. If you are a Christian, say, I want you to say this out loud. Say, I am a minister of the gospel. Say it again. If you are a Christian, say, I am a minister of the gospel. Nice. I am going to a conference this week, and I'm going to need one of you to preach next weekend. <laughs> 
That's partially true. In all seriousness, if, if you want, I, I want you to share this deep-seated conviction with me. All believers are gifted for ministry, not just the professionals. All believers, no matter how broken and flawed your background is, all believers are gifted for ministry, not just the professionals. The Bible never uses the term minister to set aside a special class of people. All believers are ministers of the gospel. When we don't believe that, we're powerless. So what's the difference then between these terms clergy and laity? You've probably heard those terms before, clergy and laity. They're real churchy words. Clergy, the assumption about clergy is that they're church staff that have some special power that mere mortals don't possess. Some of you believe that. Some of you believe that clergy are, are just a, a set-apart class that, that possess a power that, that people like you don't possess. What's the reality about clergy? Clergy is a word that's used in the New Testament, which, remember, is written in Greek. That word is kleros, and it means inheritance, and it applies to everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Because if you are a follower of Christ, you receive the inheritance of Christ. Therefore, all who have the inheritance received from following Christ, a gift that none of us deserve, we are kleros. We are clergy. So when you, not me, but you are visiting that person in your community group in the hospital in their time of need, you go ahead and take that clergy parking spot because that's what the Bible says you are. Realistically, I'm not going to field your ticket if that happens to you. But that's part of the disconnect that we have. We reinforce it in things like that. All believers are ministers of the gospel. What's laity? The assumption about laity is that they're second-class citizens in the church. They exist to be entertained and consume, and they're unable to do anything really, really significant. The reality about laity is it's another word that we find in our New Testament. It's another word rooted in the Greek language. That word laity is laos, and it means God's special people. And you know what this magnificent book teaches us from beginning to end? You are the apple of God's eye. You are a special person that matters to God. He has pursued you with relentless love. Laity is a term for the whole church. Both terms apply to all believers. While there are distinct roles in the church to equip people, every Christian is a minister of the gospel. Remember this. Pastors prepare, people minister. Pastors prepare, people minister. Pastors prepare, people minister. All show and tell the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sunday morning isn't a performance for your pleasure. It's a lab for your everyday life. We don't come to this place and sing songs and pray prayers and preach the word and re read readings in order that you would feel a little bit better about yourself. This is like practice for the under, other 167 hours a week where you're living in a broken world that needs the good news of Jesus Christ.
This isn't a performance. It's a laboratory for us to go live it out. These gatherings are about worship and preparation, and you need to be involved because there are things trying to attack you and the mission of the church to thwart the plan of God. If you're curious, we have an organized trellis at King's Community. We have a leadership system. Every ministry team in our church set up King's Kids, hospitality. Everything that happens here on Sunday morning has a system with team members, team leaders, directors, and organizational leadership. No one has to go it alone. It doesn't happen uh, in, in, a, in a roundabout, haphazard way each week. There's a trellis that we're building on. We also have systems in the church. We have ministry teams, community groups, a leadership development pipeline because we want to see the church grow and produce more fruit because we believe that's the mission that we've been entrusted with. If you want to grow relationships, be transformed, and make a difference, get involved in ministry teams and community groups. That's our plan. There's so much more than Sunday morning. If you're not already engaged in the mission before you leave here today, we invite you to go to the Welcome Center. We've got teams and resources out there to help you take your next step because we don't believe we're called to go it alone. We want to invite you in, and we're not just going to throw you into the wolves. We're not going to throw you into my son's King's Kids class. We're going to give you tools. You're going to be with other people. If you've never made disciples before, we're going to help teach you what that looks like because we are a body of people on mission with God. The church is both trellis and vine. You have a part to play. And as the trellis and the vine grow, there's another kind of growth that's not as exciting. The rest of Acts chapter 6 is growth of opposition. It's people that hate the movement of God growing, and they'll do anything in their power to stop it from happening. Remember, church is not a club. It's a movement that's shaking the world. And as we'll soon see in the coming weeks, the church is about to get shaken up and scattered. But in some mysterious and miraculous way, even those hard things will grow the church even more. Because God is victorious. God has already resurrected from the grave. God cannot lose. And he's invited us to join his work. The most beautiful thing about the book of Acts is not a growing church. It's God's faithfulness to his mission to save and renew the entire world. And once he saves and renews you, he wants to use you for his purposes. Wow. The church is filled with people that believe that God is going to do that because Jesus walked out of a grave The church in Acts is captivated by the love of God and the power of Jesus over the dead. So they're moving and they're growing in number and they're sharing their faith, even in spite of opposition. Jesus is both the root of the vine and the foundation of the trellis. Jesus is the object of our faith. Jesus brings together the church under his headship. Jesus equips us to produce fruit 
to glorify our Father in heaven. Jesus sends us out into the world to show and tell the good news of salvation to others. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's equipped you with gifts to show and tell the world. He's invited you to a relationship and he wants everything that you have to be showing and telling others about who he is and what he's done. We do that as a church through a trellis and a vine. If you're not already involved, let us help you. Let us help you take your next step. It's our turn to take the mission. We can't be content to only enjoy the kingdom and not to build the kingdom. Do you hear that, church? We can't be content to only enjoy the kingdom and not to build the kingdom. You have been saved. You have been adopted. You have been restored, redeemed, renewed. You have been given a purpose, a family, an eternal hope. And it's time for you to help give that away to others. How is God calling you to be a part of building the trellis and the vine? If you don't know, let us help you at the Welcome Center before you leave here today. Just ask, can you help me take my next step? Talk to one of us. We're here to prepare you for the work of ministry that God has for you. How might God want to use you to build the kingdom for his glory and for the good of others? What's your next step? The world could be a different place if you're willing to take your next step. The choice is yours. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, what, what an overwhelming truth it is that despite our sin and rebellion, you have pursued us with relentless love. God, as we see your church grow throughout the world, throughout history, uh, would you help us to see our place in that story? Would you help us to see how you've used both our gifts and our brokenness to prepare us to minister to others? Lord, we, we seek to be both a trellis and a vine. Would you help us to be a church that is metamorphosing and growing as your vineyard spreads throughout our neighborhoods and schools and workplaces and communities out into the world? Would you help us to be a people that, that want to see your name glorified? Would you help us work together and be unified in order that others would see the love that you've shown this world through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you.